Welcome to Midweek Liberty. I'm J. Dylan Proctor. And I'm Anthony Alegria. And today, we're going to be discussing language and culture. One of the things that really bothers me is how much language has been corrupted and is being used as a tool to manipulate people and really shape the, the culture of, of the West. And it's something that we, we need to push back on. The church is usually one of the last people to the conversation to figure out what's going on. And we, we need to be on the forefront of this, and we need to, to put language in its proper place. Sophistry is this, this thing where we use language to, to corrupt truth, and it really bothers me that this has been going on in our world for a while. Well, anyways, we're going to be looking at that as our main segment. We're also going to be talking a little bit about Sower and Kierkegaard's book, Works of Love. We're going to just take a, a taste of that here towards the end. But before we get there, let's discuss a few things which are less serious. Is it just me, or can you hear this jiff? And I do like that pronunciation with the hard G there, um, just to get that one out there on the topic of language. But anyways, so this is an interesting thing for those who are listening to the podcast. We have a, a GIF that is a power line that is jumping up and down. And when it lands on the ground, the camera shakes. And this creates an interesting thing for the, for the viewer. It's almost as if the visual and audio inputs in your brain get mixed up. And you can almost hear this thud when it happens. Obviously, it's not making any sound. But visually, your brain is tricked into thinking that it makes a sound. So it's an interesting cross there. Well, moving on to something slightly more serious, but not our main topic. Google, who is one of the companies working on artificial intelligence, they have recently had a program. One of their artificial intelligent computers has now created its own offspring. So you can go ahead and do with this as you may. This is something which is somewhere between disturbing and interesting. And the, the name of the machine is called NASNET, N-A-S-N-A-T, or N-A-S-N-E-T. And it's did, a. Did the parent name it? The I don't know. Program. Well, this is the this is the name of the I believe the parent program, but the artificial intelligence has created its own own offspring. In other words, the people who built this this computer they they programmed it, and now it has programmed another another byproduct, which is now more efficient, it's faster, it's able to do the same task quicker than the, the parent computer. So now computers are, are building themselves so we can have that to be disturbed about. While we don't have a picture of Nasnet's child as it's only a computer program, we do have a picture of maybe it's great or great great grandchild. And of course that is Arnold in the Terminator for anyone who is curious. The Terminator. Yeah. The Governator. Well, those are just some less serious things, um, but the artificial intelligence is actually something which may not may not be just something to, to poke fun at. Technology is is developing very quickly, and we're not sure exactly where it's going. I know a lot of people talk a lot about driverless cars and self-driving cars. The one thing that bothers me about a lot of this is that it diminishes an individual's sovereignty. If you're someone who lives out in the country like I do, it's very important that you have a vehicle that you can rely on for transportation. And the individual freedom and individual sovereignty you have is very much contingent upon your ability to travel freely. So that's one of the things where it bothers me with the, the driverless cars is, is it seems like it's opening the door for a diminishing of individual sovereignty. But that's a whole other conversation. Anyways, we'll come back here in a moment. We're going to discuss language and culture.
For our main topic today, we're going to be discussing language and culture. It really bothers me that the church seems to be the last one to figure out what is going on culturally. I want us to be critical thinkers and not to just be late to the table on the issue of culture. For the longest time, the ideological left has been setting the parameters for culture by using language. The corruption of words and other linguistic tools have been used to manipulate how people see the world, and it has ultimately disabled people from thinking as free individuals. People have valued language inappropriately, and the dislocation of proper language has hurt the intellectual outlook of our future. Here recently I was given a questionnaire, and the questions were not really biased in their nature, as they were just not the best questions for our time. And it was a questionnaire directed around young clergy, and they defined young clergy as being people who were under 40. But it's something which is so much more important to just us as a society than it is just for people who are pastors, all five of us who are pastors under the age of 40. Um, it's something that I want us to, to look at. I'm going to read some of these questions, then I'm going to present some of my own questions. And I want you as the, the viewer, the audience, to, to think about how in the world can we reel back the abuse of language. And I don't mean abuse of language of just calling people names, but just the absolute destruction of critical thinking by by tainting words, by having words have too much connotation with other things, by redefining language, by hiding the history of our world from people. It's amazing that in our day of, of great access to information, people are so uninformed of the, the history of thought and the history of, of ideas in our world. Well, let me get straight into this. So this questionnaire which was given to me, it opens up with some really basic questions. How old are you? What are the the dynamics of your church? Are you rural? Are you urban? Are you a traditional church? Those sort of questions. But then, once it gets into the cultural questions, things take an interesting turn. The second question regarding to culture is simply this. Today's society has seen tremendous changes in the terms of acceptance of same-sex marriage and transgender rights. M, I M, instead of N, I think it's supposed to be N, it says M, which of the following ways should the church best respond to these changes? First off, I think this is the totally wrong question. The question we shouldn't be asking is, is how do we accept same-sex marriage? Again, it's a gotcha bait question. It's one of those things where you're really damned any way you, you answer this as far as the, the cultural um, mob goes. But the question we should be asking is, what is marriage to start with? Can we give a meaningful articulation on what marriage is. It seems really easy to define on the front end, but then when you start thinking about it, it's connected to a lot more virtues than we, we notice on the surface level. And it usually takes several generations to sort of sort that one out. Um, the next question, should abortion be banned? Which is immediately followed up with the question, do you know any people personally who are transgender, gay or lesbian, have had an abortion? Again, this is a, a question for young clergy, not questions about how is salvation relevant, how do we understand the doctrines of holiness, how do we care about free will, there are people individuals, or are they just manifestations of a collective group? No real critical thinking questions, all questions which are, are selected based off of what pop culture is deemed important, which really, in my opinion, aren't. Yeah, it uh, seems like... Um... Like, their goal isn't really to test the ability of these 
uh, pastors to teach their parish. It seems more like they're testing just their political views, honestly, from the sound of the question so far. Yeah, and it's one of these things where for the longest time people have been like, well, don't take politics to the to the pulpit, but we're not going to have anything left to talk about unless we can reel back the abusive language in our society. Everything has been made political. Stuff that should not be made political has been made political. People no longer have the ability to critically think about this stuff, and it's, it's such a disaster. Uh, one more question I want to read from here. It says, how does the, the church correctly balance the church's mission between saving the loss and meeting social needs? Two things. One, why is needs, needs qualified with the term social? That's suspicious in and of itself. Yeah, it seems as though at least physical needs or, you know, other more important needs would be more important than the, I don't, I don't even, the pseudo needs that are social needs. Yeah, and pseudo is an interesting word for that. It's an interesting qualifier. Unmistakable, there are other things in our world qualified by the word social, such as justice. And justice does not need a qualifier. Something is going on manipulative whenever you add the those qualifiers in there. Because it's obviously not a dis- distinction. It's It bothers me. And why is the concept of saving the loss, why is that set up against the, the concept of, of needs in general, um, specifically social needs? Why why is this distinction being made? I, I don't like those being pit against one another. Well, clearly those, those two birds are not hit with the same stone. Yeah. Anyways, the last question I would like to, to mention here is it says, have you ever been personally discriminated against because you are a Christian. Again, maybe we should be people who go around and function as a, as individuals who are not just hyper-concerned about whether or not we're being discriminated against. Why don't we go around wondering what we can do to contribute to society? How can we be high-quality individuals? How can we pursue excellence? We we have this hypersensitivity to to victimhood, which is given too much power. To, to language it's given too much power to to things which should never be given that much power um, well anyways I want to challenge you the the audience who we are very grateful for I'm gonna ask you some questions and I want you to just think about them whether you're a Christian whether you're a pastor whether you're just somebody who who is pursuing the, the journey of free thinking think about these questions because this is what I would ask young clergy if I were tasked with interviewing young clergy. So I would start with this question. Should rewards and penalties be given by individual merit or by the social group to which people belong? And I would follow that up with this. Should salvation be contingent on an individual's receptiveness of Christ or should it be def- should be given based on the social group that which people belong to and of course this question hints at the the push and pull between individualism and collectivism and it's something where there should be a healthy balance of people being part of a larger body but yet well-developed individuals but we see this pathological movement in our our culture where people are are revolting to tribalism where they they're holding the collective value higher than themselves which there's a time and place for that but it's also very destructive when it's becoming as pathological as it is in our modern world well to contribute to your point I mean if you have weak individuals you're gonna have a weak group yeah 
if if the entire group consists of weak individuals, that group is going to be weak. So. Yes. All right. Are individuals personally transformed, or does the transforming power of Christ address people based on the group environment they come from? I'll just let you think about that one. Does Christ transform individuals based on their individual circumstances, or does Christ say, you're part of this group, this is what that group needs, so I'm going to transform you? You know, when we look at a lot of the, the miracles which happen in the New Testament, somebody being given the ability to walk, somebody being brought back into a community, somebody who's blind being able to see, these are things which is tailored to the individual's unique circumstances. Somebody giving me the ability to walk is not very relevant when I'm already able to walk. I don't have perfect 20-20 vision, so I would, be benef I, would, I would be blessed by that. But at the same time, Anthony over there, who has great vision, would not receive so much meaning from that. Christ's salvation may have been a, a one-time event which would be capable of transcending time and transcending the sins of the world. But at the same time, the transformation that comes from the, the Christian walk is very much tailored to the individual circumstances. But as we have this cultural shift towards collectivism, 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 we are separating out the rewards and penalties of Wyndon's individual merit, and we're trying to apply that to the group, and it's a very destructive thing. So other questions I would ask. Do God's virtues transcend our knowledge of them? In other words, do God's virtues go beyond our knowledge of such virtues? Building off the marriage idea, is marriage about sexual identity? Has the concept of marriage changed over the past generations, over the past millennia? And do you understand the complex attributes of marriage? The next question I would ask is, are modern issues actually modern, or are there the same problems emerging again in a different form? So often people make the argument, well, that's the morality of the past that's not relevant to today. But the older I get and the more I read, the more I study history and the history of thought, the more I realize the problems which we, we claim to be just new modern problems aren't exactly new. They're just a repeat of things that have taken on a different form. Technology has, unex has unmistakably exaggerated the, the way that these things come into our lives. But they're not, they're not new issues. Um, by and large, especially the ones that are moral issues. These are not necessarily new. So the next question I would ask is regarding the, the topic of charity. Should charity come as a result of personal charity or private, privately organized charity, or should charity come about by mandatory government compulsion? This is where a lot of people split politically. When Christ calls us to be people who live as he lived, as we follow the model not only of Jesus, but even the, the commandments which have been given to us, is charity something which is the individual's responsibility, or do we force other people to be charitable? And at that point, is it even charity? Do we benefit the, the poor, the people who have issues in society, by taking care of it ourselves, by being personally responsible and going to help these people, or do we just force other people to deal with it? It's a big question. The next question is not really a yes or no question, but the question is, what is worship? 
You know, I find it amazing. We have so many churches which have things like worship pastors. And it's one of these topics where I've never got a uniform answer of what worship is from people. People are all over the board on on what they, they think worship is. And after that question, I would ask, are there such things as secular religions? Do all religious fundamentalists have a divine being play the role as God? Or do some just simply have a transcending idea which serves as God? And I only have two questions left. One of them would be is, are all sins functionally equal? And Anthony yeah. actually had something interesting about this earlier. Yeah, I think functionally that's that's one that we can all answer pretty easily. Obviously, they do not all function equally. They have very different effects. Yeah. I'm not omniscient by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not going to rule whether all sin is the same, but I do know that all sin doesn't function the same. There are some things which have a large and lasting effect, um, whether in one's life or the lives of those around them, and, and some do not have such a long-term effect. But all the same, we we need to critically think about stuff like this. Well, a I lot will say, I, I, do have a, I do have a problem with the idea of absolute conclusion that all sins are ap- are equal in the judgment of God because as soon as you agree to that then you know devastating sins that have much worse functional effects are equal to sins that have very very minute functional effects like using a dirty word you know using yeah. a dirty word in private I mean like yeah, God does ask us not to do that, but that's not the same thing as, like, torturing people, you know? Yeah. And again, I'm not going to speak on behalf of God, but I am going to say it's obvious that all sin is not functionally equal. Um, and the last question I would have is, striker fire or hammer fire? This is an important question. Um, sure, a lot of your low-end offerings are hammer fire, but then again, a lot of your high-end offerings, too. Almost all of them are. You know, you get into your, your SIGs, your Edmund and Theodore, or should I say Hickler and Coke, you get into stuff like the Mark 23. All the nicely customizable stuff is is hammer fire. Um, and then your stuff more oriented around gross motor skills is is typically striker fire. So that's a big question. Um, I realize that might be one for my own personal choice, but striker fire, hammer fire, it's a serious question we need to answer as a society. And on that note, we'll be back here in a second. Think about those questions, though. Think about how language has really been corrupted and just... Ponder all that. Well, I will say, honestly, whenever I think about those questions, the saddest part to me is that, like, I feel like most people, especially the first set that you offered, um, could answer most of those questions. But then as soon as you go, you take it into practice, it all goes out the window. You know, all of a sudden yeah. uh, rewards and punishments shouldn't apply to individuals. They should apply to groups. Yeah. You know? And... It's just so sad to see because, like, you can you can prove the points and you can argue it, and then they can agree with you, and then they'll leave. And in practice, you know, it's the exact opposite. Yeah. It's as if you didn't say anything. We need free thinkers. We need people who are transformed as individuals into the body that is the kingdom of God. The church needs needs transformation. We need healthy individuals to be a healthy church. All right, so let's wrap this program up. I'd like to read 
out of Soren Kierkegaard's book, Works of Love. There's a, a quote from his chapter on You Shall Love Your Neighbor that's really interesting. And it reads as follows. There is indeed a great debate going on in the world about what should be called the highest good. But whatever it is called at the moment, whatever variations there are, it is unbelievable how many prolixities are involved in grasping it. Christianity, however, teaches a man immediately the shortest way to the highest good. Shut your door and pray to God, for God is still the highest. In our culture, we've seen this attempt to throw away the Judeo-Christian values. We've seen an attempt to throw away the traditional moral structures. And the problem is, we haven't actually got people who are functionally atheist. We have people who are functioning in these, these crude tribal religions, which are very much incoherent. We've seen this resent towards people who are actually productive. We've tried to, to take the, the language of heroism and give it to people who aren't actually doing heroic things. And it's just really terrible what's going on in society. Things like Colin Kaepernick being the citizen of the year instead of NFL players who are actually doing productive things outside of football. It's just, it's indicative of a very unhealthy culture. However, I still have hope that we as critical thinkers, we can, we can start to, to push back towards all this. We just need to be on the front end of, of being excellent people. You know, don't be a scandalous person. That can go a long way in life. But also, we don't need to just let people push the narrative on what society is going to be. We need to actually be engaging in critical thinking. Call people when they, they say stuff that is just ridiculous. Don't, don't let our culture get away with this. We need to have, we need to expect more from ourselves and we need to expect more from the world, the ones around us. Um, it's very often we hear in society, don't be a hero, let somebody else step in. I'm going to challenge that. Be a hero, be a heroine, be someone who is interested in, in having an excellent life. Well, we're going to end there today. I hope you enjoyed our program. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can find us on SoundCloud, on iTunes, and on other podcasting sites. And if you, you enjoyed this, you can really help us out just by subscribing and sharing our content. And with that, have a blessed day.